Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We host Pantsuit Politics, a podcast with a remarkable community of listeners. Here on The Nuanced Life, we come together every week to answer your questions and commemorate your milestones in hopes of bringing a little more grace to every aspect of life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are here today talking about betrayal. We have two questions about betrayal inside relationships and when relationships end or whether they should end. And we are going to try to take a lot of care with this topic because we know it touches a lot of people's lives, including our own. And we're going to start today with a letter from Anne. Anne has a burning question, as she puts it. She unknowingly became the other woman because a man was dishonest with her and lied by omission. So she started dating this person who she later learned is still technically married. He's been separated for three years, but is not divorced. Now she says, that's what he tells me now. For all I know, he could be in a long distance marriage due to work for the past three years, not right cheating. I feel like she says she cannot trust him about anything because of this. She said that she has been to his house. She knows that he lives there alone. But that's really all she feels like she firmly understands because he lied by omission this entire time. She said whether he's actively married or just married in the legal sense, married is still married, something that big you need to disclose up front. And he's still harboring hope of reconciling with his wife if he's even being honest that they're truly separated. I asked if he was planning to reconcile with her and his answer was time shall tell that was the hope. So Anne is asking, is he a manipulative psychopath who cheats with no remorse? Or was he actually being truthful and is genuinely lonely after three years of legitimate separation? She's been alternating between shell-shocked and thoroughly disgusted and swinging to the other extreme of having compassion and empathy for him. Without knowing the details, it's hard to know exactly who he is or even how to react. And she mentions that there's some PTSD from a deployment here. There's a lot going on, and she wants us to talk through this with her. I think this is more common than people who have been out of the dating scene for a long time, like myself, realize. I think it is, especially with online dating and sort of dating as a as a presentation of yourself, even more than it always was, this instinct to lie by omission, keep things private, however you want to couch it, but to, you know, not disclose everything up front. And I think that's really hard. I think that the distrust that builds, not only with that person, but in your next interaction in a dating situation where you're going to worry, is this person telling me the whole truth? And it's like, I I think it's hard. You don't want to walk in to a first date or in a direct message and be like, let me lay all my baggage on the table. I can understand the instinct to wait until you see if you like the person or if you can trust the person to disclose these things. But I also think 
that that is inherently risky and can lead to the situation and describes where you feel like you were just being private, but really you were violating someone else's trust. And that's not fair. This was not a fair situation to put Anne in. And especially now that she's formed feelings and she is alternating between, I mean, clearly she's formed feelings with him. That's why she's alternating between anger and empathy. And I think she needs to be gentle with herself and understand there's probably not one universally right approach to a situation like this, because as we often say on The Nuance Life, human beings are complicated, especially when they come into contact with one another. But I would say I don't think that, you know, I don't think this is something wrong with her. I think this is pretty common. I think it's common. I think people would have a wide variety of reactions to something like Mm -hmm. this. I think all of those reactions have their own validity. I think what makes it so unfair for him to have not shared it is that that is a very serious moral dilemma Mm. for lots of people. And you don't get to choose for the other person whether that's a serious moral dilemma for them. Right. And that's what I would say to anybody in this situation, because I do think there are folks who would say, okay, I get it. You've been separated three years. You haven't gotten Mm -hmm. the divorce done yet. Tell me why. Help me understand that because I don't want to be in a situation where you're actually hoping to reconcile. Maybe some people would say I'm fine with that too because we have all kinds of different reasons for wanting to spend time with other people. Maybe Anne would have been one of those people if he'd given her a chance instead of keeping it from her. And so I think that where your privacy interest rubs up against what could be an incredibly big deal in terms of someone's values and an incredibly big deal in terms of their understanding of the situation that they're walking into, I don't think you have a right to keep that private. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that means that he's a manipulative psychopath. You know, I don't know what he is. And I have been in that situation before where you suddenly have this sense I didn't know this. What else don't I know? And that's Mm. a horrible feeling. That's a I can like recreate that feeling in my stomach right now talking about it. That's a horrible feeling. And I think that you have to look at the whole of the circumstances to decide how you're going to proceed from that feeling, because some of us are going to be inclined to completely write the person off and have a lot of trust issues going forward. And some of us are going to be inclined to kind of gently continue to step through things with this person and express the hurt and express some boundaries, uh, but maybe continue to talk with them. And and I don't think there's a wrong. I just feel like human relationships are way too complex to try to lay down. Here's the right thing to do in this situation, which sucks. And I wish that I did. I would give you. A hug and a chocolate croissant, and we would talk this out for days if we could be together in person. But I think it's, to me, what I hear in your message is, this is a very big deal to me, and I feel very betrayed. And so I think that you don't have to call him a manipulative psychopath to maybe say, I need to exit this situation because it's not good for me. Well, here's what I would say that I think as much as there can be a general rule or guideline, this is one. I experienced enormous betrayal from my, you know, first true love. He was my first boyfriend. He was my prom date and my, you know, just 
all the firsts, all the loves, he was it. And he cheated on me with one of our sorority sisters. Fun fact, he did not attend our college. He just knew her from hanging out with me. And she was a close friend of mine, and it was awful. I found a letter from her in his house after he had assured me that they were just friends. And I still went back to him. I still went back to him. Because there's this sense of like, if I didn't know, then what else can I, then you you trust every instinct you have, right? If you couldn't, if you didn't realize he was doing this, or if you did and you ignored it, then there's this sense of like, I can't trust myself either because my instincts were so wrong. I remember being in his apartment and calling my mother and being like, I just can't leave. I just can't leave. Thank God I did leave. And he ended up with this girl. They had kids and they got divorced. She sent me a letter 10 years later. It's a very dramatic story. The point is, I didn't have the stakes felt high to me, but they weren't right. The stakes were my feelings and not to discount those and not to discount the heartbreak of being cheated on by your first love, which felt like the most awful thing that had happened to me in that point. But, you know, the stakes weren't actually that high. We were not married. We did not have children. Nobody had uprooted their lives. Nobody was in a new location. You know what I mean? Versus I have friends who've been married for years, have experienced betrayal, and who've worked through it. And I think that's just the one thing that I was I would always advise people to do. Is because you can't, I believe you can work through betrayal. I've seen it happen. I think you can do it. It is a lot of hard work. And I think, you know, right now in my life, if the scales, you know, in my own marriage, because the stakes are high, we have children, we're going to be in each other's lives no matter what, right? And so there's an aspect of even if if you get divorced, you have to work through that betrayal because you're still in each other's lives. We all know couples who separate who never work through it and like don't speak at their children's weddings and nobody wants that. But for Anne, there's just a part of me that's like, Stakes are low. Cut and run. You know, like, why pour all the energy into something? I think so, too. Right? Like, if the stakes are low, this is a lot of work for something that will continue most likely to be an issue in your relationship forever. Not that I don't mean you can't get over it, that you can't heal, but the scar will remain. The scar will remain, you know? And I think if the stakes are low and you're not tied to each other in ways that are difficult or impossible to sever— you know, say, I learned this lesson. You taught me something valuable. I'm glad you came into my life. Let's go our separate ways. To me, what that lesson is, not that I think you had to have this experience to get this lesson. I mean, you know, none of that, right? Not putting a bow around this. No, no. I think this is a tool to help you know, I need at the very beginning to be clear mm-hmm. about what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. And I need mm-hmm. you to be clear from the beginning about what you're here for. Because when the stakes get higher, even, I think that the people who work through betrayal are able to do that because they're there for the same thing. Yeah. There are lots of contexts in which betrayal can arise. But if you fundamentally want the same thing, mm-hmm. then I think there's an opportunity to get through that. If you fundamentally want different things, I think there's not. Yeah. And I think that's okay to say, but 
the trouble is nobody really teaches you how to go into a relationship saying, here's what I'm here for. And sometimes you don't know because of your age right. or your life experience or whatever. And because mm-hmm. the physical chemistry that exists between people is so confusing mm-hmm. and can take you out of yourself, right, in terms of what you're looking for. And because women especially are told not to scare them with what we're here for. So there right. are like all these pressures at work, but... Knowing in your own mind, hey, I am here for something that can, if it is intended to develop into a meaningful long-term partnership, means that if you are kind of just waiting and seeing if somebody's going to come back to you, this is not going to be worth either of our time. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, we also got an anonymous letter from M, who is 26 years old and has separated from her husband for about five months. He told her that he doesn't want to try. He doesn't want to continue therapy. They sold their condo. They separated financially. And this summer marked their five-year wedding anniversary. And she's brokenhearted. They can't have to wait a year of separation in, in order to file for divorce. So she's living alone for the first time. She's moved in her own apartment. She's a teacher and struggling with all the stress of being a public school teacher. And she just... <laughs> She said, I just would love some empathy for my situation. I've been having a really hard time. And she's in counseling and she has a small group and she wants to be told that she's doing a good job and that what I'm going through is hard and sucky. Oh, M. <laughs> of course, what you're going through is hard and sucky. You know, I thought immediately of one of my favorite songs of all time, Bonnie Raitt, I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't. I think that is one of the most powerful lyrics in music because it's just it's it is the most brutal and heartbreaking of truth. When somebody walks in and says, I don't love you anymore and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that that is one of the most difficult things that we can go through. I also think it is a fire that will forge your self-awareness and your self-understanding in a way almost nothing else will. And so, oh, we see you. We see you. We see you. We see you. You're doing a good job and what you're going through is hard and sucky. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry. I wish that we could guard your heart for you right now. Mm-hmm. If there is a moment of gratitude here, for me, it is that he told you. Yep. Yep. 
because five years in is a really hard place for this to happen. And 15 would be even harder. Mm -hmm. And so I am glad he told you as much as I wish that this were not true for him. And I wish for you so much happiness on the other side of this grief. You know, I have women in my life who have lived through this, very close scenarios to this. And I think there is a cultural message that the best thing that can happen to a woman is that she be chosen by a man. And that the worst thing that can happen to a woman is that that man say he no longer loves her. And the women that I've watched walk through this, the friends in my life who have gone through this and come out of the other side, have a freedom that is hard to articulate. The freedom of knowing that that cultural message is a lie. The freedom of knowing that it is hard and it is difficult. And also, it is not life-ending. It doesn't change your worth or your value. It is only a statement on their choice. And to walk through that and see that in your own life with your own eyes and feel it in every cell of your body, like they just... It's almost like a superpower. They just have an understanding and like the depths of who they are that you just can see. You can see it in them. You really, really can. I totally agree with that. I hate that experience is such a good teacher and that anybody Word. has to go through an experience. But I definitely sense in women who have gone through something like this, they just recognize that whatever happens, they can handle yes. it. They can handle whatever happens. And I think that's so important, especially when you've gotten married at a pretty young age. Like it sounds like you have um, been with somebody for a long time. Like there can be, I mean, I have moments, Chad and I married when I was in my late 20s. And I still have a fear about what would happen. Could I, could I do life by myself? And I know I could. I don't want to. Mm. But I have thought through that enough to know that I can. And I think that's really, really important. Again, I don't want this for you, Em. I want the people who we love to love us back as wholeheartedly mm. as we love them. I think the next best scenario is when that's not happening for it to be said truthfully so that everybody can move on. I know you're going to it, this will build who you are in unexpected ways, but I wish that you didn't have to walk through that tunnel to get there. I know. You know, I grew up with a mother and a grandmother that went through divorces when I was a young child. And I think the message I got from both of them is, you know, be prepared. Like, this could happen to you. And I think... You know, there's a lesson in women that go through this. And I think that part of the pain that women and men who experience this sort of breakup feel is the smugness from other people with the idea of like you did something wrong, which is really just an attempt to make themselves feel better or this sense that that won't happen to us. I think about that line in the Dixie Chick songs where she says we would sit in judgment when our friends got divorced. And this idea of like, well, that won't happen to me. And those people are full of it and deluding themselves. It could happen to anybody. Love is fickle and life is hard and things change on a dime. And anybody who doesn't understand that and sits in judgment of you, 
That is their burden to carry, not yours. And you'll get really good at sniffing that out. You know, anybody that's been through a tragedy, you sense it immediately when people are just trying to make themselves feel better that it won't happen to them. That's 100% right. My therapist talks about this as the spell of solidity. Mm, That's so good. I love that. Yep. He says, you know, that there are people who walk through this world into advanced age, believing that you set things up and they are as they are. Yep. And they need that. And that what you have to try to do as a parent is in age-appropriate ways help your child walk through the spell of solidity. They need it for a while developmentally, and then you have to start showing them that it is a spell, in fact. And we have to do that even as we are working on lifting that fog for ourselves. And I'm worried that 2020 is like a whole lot of ripping the spell of solidity away for too many people at one time. Yeah. But especially when it hits this close. You know, because what you hope for in life is that everything that takes you out of the spell of solidity, you're holding someone's hand during Mm -hmm. that time, right? But I also wish for you, Em, that you are surrounded by hands to hold, even if they aren't the ones that you, you know, you're not holding it in the way that you anticipated. But I hope that you're just surrounded by friends and family and people who love you and build you up. I hope your other second grade teachers are places that you can lean into, you know, and that everybody just works through this together because it's it's too much for any of us to do on our own. And we are holding your hand. Absolutely. We are holding your hand. Yeah, I think that the shooting, I was a victim of a high school shooting when I was a junior. Like that for that I've never had language for what that did without having to do this sort of really careful dance about everything happens for a reason, which I do not do not believe. But the spell of solidity is a perfect way to put it. It just, it forever erased that for me. Like, I don't, I don't have that. <laughs> and I haven't since I was 17 years old or 16 years old. Like, just the sense of like, oh no, everything can change like that. And I, I do try to convey that to my children. I was, you know, the other day, those of you who have followed us on Instagram for a while, um, my son Griffin requested rats for his birthday. So he has two sibling rats. They're very sweet. They've grown on me. But one of them got sick. And we knew that he had a res- – we could tell he had a respiratory illness, which can escalate quickly with rats. Like that's the thing they tell you. you got to be really careful because it can kill them and it can kill them quickly. And I saw him sort of starting to escalate that. And every cell in my being was like, tell him it'll be okay. And I thought, no, that is not the right approach here. I said, Griffin – We're going to get the treatment that we can, but understand that the rat could die. We know that. The rat will die eventually. We know that too. I'm not going to assure you that everything will be okay and they will live forever because that's not true. And you knew that. That's what happens when we love something. That's the bargain we strike, be it a pet or a person or whatever, that you're opening up, you're becoming vulnerable to loss because to love something is to risk losing it. And I wish there was a different way. But there isn't. And that if you can just understand that instead of fighting it, instead of trying to grip harder, your life will maybe not be easier, but at least you won't be making it more difficult. And he's like breathing. He's like, I know, I know. And he get, he wanted to talk through a couple of things. And I could see it was like easier him, like instead of fighting, like, oh, will this happen? Well, let's think. And I used to do this a lot. I don't like to walk through worst case scenarios. But I do think to a certain extent it's helpful. And sometimes we're not walking through them in theory. We're walking through them in reality. 
And like you said, to have people surrounding you and saying, you're not alone, that's really the best you can hope for as a human. Yeah, I had a similar conversation with my girls because of my mom's health. And, mm. you know, Ellen looked at me and said, does Grant have coronavirus? And I said, yes, she does. And she just collapsed. And she said, is she going to be okay? And I said, right now, I don't know, Ellen. Mm. What I know is that all we can do right now is love her and that that's very powerful. And I don't know what will happen here, but we love her so much. And that means something. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. that there was a way to neatly fold up what support looks like for someone like M too. Like, I wish I could say right now, here are the things that M's immediate circle need to do for her. And I don't think that that exists other than just being more present than it feels appropriate to be. Because I feel like in some ways the spell of solidity also contributes to that sense that I don't want to intrude. And I feel like the best friends in my life are people who are very much willing to intrude. People who are very much willing to say like, hi, I'm showing up here again. Have you taken a shower today? Are you okay? Are you eating? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And... So I hope that the people around him will break out of their spells enough to be really in it with her. As long as I live, I will not forget an interview with Joan Didion, who was an amazing author and experienced incredible tragedy with the loss of her husband and her daughter very close in time. Wrote a book called A Year of Magical Thinking, and they did a play based on it. And she came every day to the rehearsals. And the interviewer said, isn't it hard to come here every day and think about this? And she said, what? Because I wouldn't be thinking about it otherwise. That's right. And I thought, that's it. That's it. We think, oh, we don't want to make a, we don't want to bring it up. It's already up, y'all. It's already up. All it's the way already, up. All the way up. It's all the way up. Um, the idea that like, oh, we'll make them think about this person they've just lost or this tragedy they've experienced or this heartbreak they're living through. It's already there. It's already in every moment. To try to avoid it is creating another trauma instead of just to acknowledge the pain that someone is in. That to me is, you know, and it's it's a thing we all try to do and it's hard and you're going to get it wrong and you're going to stumble. But I think as long as you are showing up for another person with an open heart and really for them and not to make yourself feel better, then you're on the right track. Yeah, I think part of the spell of solidity depends on minimizing other people's pain. Mm. Because if other people can be in this much pain, then so can I. Exactly. If it's this precarious for other people, then it is for me too. And that's just really hard. And so, I mean, a lot of grace for everybody who struggles with that. But if you're listening and you have the capacity, show up for your people 
who are in M's shoes and show up in a way that recognizes that, yes, this could be you also. Well, it reminds me, I'm reading right now, Pima Chodron, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times. She's so brilliant. Mm -hmm. And she has this chapter. Because, you know, in a part of her letter, M says, should I keep holding out hope? And in this chapter, Pima Chodron says that we have an addiction to hopefulness. And she encourages this sort of leaning into hopelessness, to break that addiction to hopefulness, right? Which I think is a different way to articulate the spell of solidity, right? She says, suffering is a part of life, and we don't have to feel it's happening because we personally made the wrong move. In reality, however, when we feel suffering, we think that something is wrong. As long as we're addicted to hope, we feel that we can tone our experience down or liven it up or change it somehow, and we continue to suffer a lot. And like I spent a lot of time with that because hope is something that's important to me. And I think envisioning a better future is an important part of a lot of the work we do as individuals and as a society. But I thought that she's right. The idea because it's so hard to hope and not let it morph into a belief that our individual action caused the suffering and our individual action can get us out of it. And I think, you know, carefully walking that line. You know, because hope can be the cornerstone of suffering. We talked about that, I think, a few episodes ago with Andrew Solomon and Far From Home, that like hoping that something can be different can can prevent us from accepting the reality we live in. And acceptance is, you know, accepting that solidity does not exist and that suffering is a part of life, I think, is really the the first step to a self-awareness, a higher form of consciousness, a lot of things. And so, you know, I would not let hope be the cornerstone of suffering. I would not, I would embrace the reality in which you find yourself in, that you are separated and that he has stated clearly he does not want to move forward and you deserve someone who wants to move forward with you. So I think hope is really, really tricky in moments like this. I think that hope and contentedness or beauty are different things too. Mm-hmm. My favorite Pema Chodron thing is from The Wisdom of No Escape, the story of a woman running from tigers and she runs to the edge of a cliff and the tigers are pursuing her and she sees vines and she grabs a vine and then she realizes that there are tigers below her too. So if she drops, she's going into tigers off the edge of the cliff and the tigers are running at her and she's holding the vine. And then she notices a mouse chewing on the vine and she sees a little bunch of strawberries growing out of a clump of grass close to her. And so she looks around and like takes in the whole situation and then she just pulls off a strawberry and eats it and enjoys it so much And Pema Chodron writes, tigers above, tigers below. This is actually the predicament that we are always in, in terms Mm. of our birth and death. Each moment is just what it is. It might be the only moment of our life. It might be the only strawberry we'll ever eat. We could get depressed about it, or we could finally appreciate it and delight in the precariousness of every single moment of our life. So we wish that for you, Em. We're holding your hand. We hope you have lots of support and that you gain self-awareness and strength through this experience and that you can be present in this moment and eat the strawberries, I guess. And for Anne, too. 
Em and Anne, holding you so close in our hearts. Thank you all so much for sharing your stories and your lives with us. You can send an email to hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com if you have something you'd like us to discuss here. We will keep you all very close. And until we talk again, keep it nuanced, y'all. The Nuanced Life is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Learn more about our work by visiting pantsuitpoliticsshow.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter and following Pantsuit Politics on Instagram.